0: Happy Friday. That's what I'm doing today. Can you hear it in my voice? I'm sick, everybody. I'm trying to beat this goddamn summer cold. You know what it's from? It's because I don't sleep enough. It's because I'm not taking care of my body the way that I should, and my body is pissed off at me, and that's why. So, uh, look, I'm going to get straight to the point here. On this week's episode, Um, I meet cool as shit people as I travel across the world. I meet them all the time. And the thing that I like to do more than anything else is share those people with you guys. Um, I met uh, this gentleman uh, a couple years ago. Brief thing, super quick, you know, hey, how are you? Nice to meet you type of thing. And uh, I started to follow him and enjoy um, what he does. And he's a good dude. He's a really, really good guy. And I wanted to get him on the show because I saw him a couple of weeks ago at the Crave Northwest Festival out there in Spokane, Washington. I watched him create some dishes that were really pretty spectacular. And I had a a, a real brief opportunity to talk to him. And it it just solidified the fact that I want to have another conversation with him. And so that's what we're going to do today. So um, Top Chef uh, 15, which really doesn't have a lot to say about what this guy does or what he does do but in this day and age of celebrity chefs and all the other stuff that's going on out there some people like to know that um he's a good dude he's a uh, vietnamese uh american from oakland california uh really really quality individual ladies and gentlemen do me a huge favor welcome to the show chef Two david foo on duffin five live
1: FA what's going on brother I'm great man excited to be on the Brian Duffy show what's up <laughs>
0: The Brian Duffy show can be a shit show or it can be an award-winning broadcast. It all depends on the day itself.
1: I so. think it depends on your perspective, too. You know, shit can mean good or bad, right? That's true, man. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. You know, it's funny. I had a conversation last night with uh, Rosa. Rosa is a Guatemalan, 42-year-old Guatemalan woman who is a dishwasher in my restaurant, and she's the backbone. I mean, she really is. You know, she does everything from washing dishes to breaking down chickens and rubbing ribs and doing all that. And I was tasting something last night. I was tasting my green beans. And and, and Dave, you know how it is, man. You taste something sometimes, even if you've made it 50 times. And you're like, fuck, it's so good. Like, it's just got great. It's so simple, but it's so good. And I look at her, I'm like, bueno, caca. And she looks at me all weird and she's like, good shit. She's like, that's not good. I'm like, no, baby, this is good. But it's so funny. You're right. It is the perspective of of the of the user as well as the receiver of the word shit. So absolutely, man. There you, you know, go.
1: On, on the West Coast here, we use a little bit different lingo from everywhere else. So hopefully on a national scale, we'll, we'll just have to catch people up here. Right. So exactly. We'll words. <laughs>
0: so, hey, Chef, why don't you do me a favor, man? Why don't you tell us? us, uh, one, who you are, what you do, and then, you know, the most important, not the most important, but an important part of it is how people can get in contact with you and follow you and do all that.
1: Absolutely, my brother. Uh, My name is Tu David Fu. I was on Top Chef Season 15. I'm a first-generation Vietnamese-American from Oakland, and what I do is I try to bring people together through food and storytelling. I think that's what... We should do as chefs, people in the community. Um, I feel like the political times are really harsh right now. Um, I have the blessing, so do you, Brian Duffy, um, as traveling the world, traveling a nation, seeing different people. But I think uh, you can kind of attest to this is that um, there are a lot of differences amongst us people. Uh, however, we do all love the same goddamn thing is we love fucking delicious food. <laughs> exactly.
0: So. Yeah, that's the truth. And how and how can people get in contact with you, man?
1: Yeah. If you guys are interested in following me and getting on the vibes on what I do and, and what I represent um, on social media, Instagram specifically, the tag handles at Chef to David Fu. Same thing for Twitter. And same thing for Facebook. Uh, You guys want a website, just go to www.chef2.com. You guys could see everything that I'm doing um, in the food storytelling space, pop-up events. Uh, If I'm going to be in a city near you, all the information will be there.
0: Two, I think one of the things that that I love the most about about this show and, and, and the interactions that, that we have with people is really learning about the background of where people came from, because we all, despite our diverse backgrounds and the livelihoods that we had prior to, and what it is that we do now, we all do the same thing. We all stand in a kitchen. We all create, we all try to produce a product that, that is, is something that's memorable for the guest. But, but where did you come from? I mean, you know, you're, you're first generation Vietnamese from, from Oakland how like tell me more about that
1: well um yeah i grew up in oakland i was born in 85 i'm 34 years old right now uh, i grew up in oakland during the crack crack epidemic and i'd say at its peak um oh, specific specifically heroin um and me being vietnamese american i felt like i was uh, extremely different in my community um however Being in that community, um, I was both celebrated and ridiculed, depending on a time and a place. (laughs) Um, Lots of lots of fights. um, You know, lots of um, you know, trying to understand where I was at, uh, time and place, being in the right place, being at the right time. All those things kind of folded in. Um, But I found that no matter where I was at growing up whether it's at a friend's house or I met somebody new in a neighborhood or uh, inviting friends who weren't from my ethnic heritage over to my house, I found that we've always bonded over food. Isn't that yeah. an interesting concept? Yeah. You know, I feel like when people invite you to your table, their guards are down. Um, you know, they're opening their home, their hearts, and trusting you to come into a sacred place where uh, no damage is done. And I feel like coming from a very specific situation like that, that resonated with me and fueled my fire to be a chef. You um, what? I, I mean, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, go ahead, brother. Go ahead, brother. You're you saying
0: first, dude, just let your mic hang.
1: Is it still rubbing?
0: Yeah. If you're, if you're holding it, just just let it hang because it won't. And kind of, I don't know if you're leaning it into your computer or not. Mm-hmm. Just kind of let it hang if that's the case because it's it's still banging a lot. So I don't know if you're holding it
1: and talking or it might what. be my hoodie, man. Because my hoodie's kind of like fuck the hoodie. Uh, you're in yeah, California,
0: man. It. What are you doing with a hoodie? Oh, is it cold out there now? Uh, it's a
1: little bit. It's NorCal. You know what I mean? Oh
0: yeah, that's right. That's is that be- is that better, bro? Yeah, dude. That's so much better. Cool. So um, I, 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 one of the things I mean what what was the food kind of situation growing up in your house? I mean, were your parents cooking? Were you, you know, I mean, because one of the things that I know about Vietnamese is one, it's super, super family oriented. And every part of that really is about you know your grandmother talking to you about food or and so many guys that i've met especially of vietnamese culture learned most of the cooking from the elders being the grandmother the grandfather not really even the grandfather more of the grandmother who was either living in the house or or you know the young child was spending a lot of time with the grandparents at that point what was what was that food culture like in your house
1: so i'm going to keep it like 1000 with you like a, like straight up 100% like hey okay. most most chefs have like this beautiful story of how they're like hanging out with their grandmothers and grandfathers and in their gardens and how they had like sunday dinners and thanksgiving and all that stuff but most Real of pal- it's
0: fabricated in reality yeah i'm not gonna I, I, lie
1: yeah, I keep it a hundred percent real, man. Like my parents are, my parents came from a war torn country, sure. um. And depending on where you are in the world and your perspective, that may still be the case. Right. Um. But my dad specifically, um, he was part of two wars. There's a there was a war, um, with the Vietnamese, the Democratic Vietnamese, and then the uh, communist Cambodians, uh, the Khmer Rouge. He was in that war, like in the mid seventies. Wow. Um, and he was defending um, Vietnam, Democratic Vietnam from the Khmer Rouge Cambodians from encroaching on our island in Phu Quoc, Vietnam, which is like the most southern tip of Vietnam. So he's seen a lot of blood yeah. on his hands. And if for those sure. who don't know who the Khmer Rouge are, maybe some are too young. Um, the Khmer Rouge were essentially the Nazis of Southeast Asia. They they killed everyone, including their own. Um, so genocide. Absolutely. Millions and millions of people died. And my dad, proudly enough, was a person who prevented them from encroaching and from taking over this democratic region. Um, But like I said, he saw a lot of blood on his hands. Um, Secondly to that, uh, my parents went through the Vietnam War and uh, became escaped Vietnam and was able to be boat people and landed in Thailand in a refugee camp for about a year. So. I think this is an important concept to understand is that, uh, and just to be very transparent, when there is a war in any country, let alone two, that means your infrastructure, your food resources, your farming, everything is completely fucked up. Right. So my parents' experiences in food and cuisine um, were fairly improvised. You know, they, they did have memories of eating with their family, but oftentimes they were in refugee camps and war camps. Wow. Um. Additional to, uh, additional to that, they were in Thailand for about a year, and they refugeed, uh They were able to get sponsored over by a Christian church in Oakland um, to become um, uh, to get their green cards, and then eventually getting their uh, getting their citizenship. Okay. We landed in West Oakland. West Oakland up until about five years ago was a food desert, and what a food desert is is just for those of you who don't know. Um, it means that there isn't any grocery store in your area. Um, there isn't anything where it gives you access to any fresh produce. Uh, growing up with my friends, um, if we thought uh, anything associated with tomato, you would think of a jack-in-a-box burger <laughs> with a tomato garnish. Right. You think of ketchup. If we wanted orange, it was orange-flavored soda. You know. And if we wanted to go to a grocery store, we'd have to go to their neighboring town, which is about five miles away in Emeryville, which is north of Oakland. Sure. And the only thing we had were liquor stores. It was that and drugs, <laughs> yeah. you know? Um, so my parents, you know, coming from where they come from and, you know, they're kind of used to that situation. I think my mom had a genius of our own and my parents had a genius of their own in in, in, in yearning for the food that they that they uh, that they came from the cuisine that they came from and my mom with the little plot of land that she had you know she would garden she would grow chilies she would grow herbs she would grow mint she would grow lettuces and those are really high staple things uh, citruses those are really high staple Herbs and plants that we would use in Vietnamese cuisine. So every day we would have at least something fresh. And I can confidently say, I'm one of the few kids on my block where if I went home, I would have fresh produce because we grew it. Right. And once again, it's not a beautiful garden like we have a sure five by five plot of land with cement and you know um, sounds like my backyard, (laughs) right? (laughs) It
0: does, man. I got my tomato plants are are 14 feet high right now. Sick, man. And I have this tiny little 16 by 16 backyard, so.
1: Sick, man. And that's the thing. It's about how innovative you are with your limited space, right? There's a a way, so. Yeah. Um, But that's the type of food that I grew up with. And, you know, considering, excuse me, my bad, such a hater. Uh, (laughs) um, And considering all those things, and considering all those things is that my parents, they were never in Vietnam cooking this food, raising me and my sister. So those things were improvised. So they're trying to cook Vietnamese food, but they don't have Vietnamese food. Okay. So I think that really developed the very unique thing that uh, and contributed to my perspective of what Vietnamese food is. And as a 34 year old now, in 15 years deep in my career, I understand that that wasn't purely authentic Vietnamese food. It's 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 um, it's inspired by, you know. And I consider myself a third culture kid. Is that I'm not actually Vietnamese. I'm a Vietnamese kid from Oakland, which has really sure. interesting nuances to it. Like, yeah, you see me, right? Like I'm six two, yeah, weighing sure two twenty. I'm tatted up. Like I don't look like I'm from Vietnam. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you <know>? Yes. <Yeah>, seriously. <laughs> but I think uh, all in all, I think with their struggle. Um, inspired their genius, um, and which gave birth to, to my perspective and how I cook food, and I'm very thankful, uh, till this day that people are appreciative of it. You know, yeah. so it allows me to sit in this chair today talking to Big Dog, you know, Big Bro Brian Duffy, man. You know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sorry, I told you I was sick. It's and all I'm good, Still
1: bro. coughing it out.
0: So so I mean, what did your parents? What, what work did your parents do when you were growing up? Because I think I, I love to hear the stories of what people's parents did, especially in the chef community, because I think it leads so much to the direction of of the work ethic that we all have. You know, I mean, my father was my father was a a very educated man. He was a teacher. He Mm -hmm. you know, started his own business and went through there. My mother was a nurse. Both my parents worked their asses off to take care of four kids living in the suburbs of Philadelphia. You know, so there was there was, you know, I mean, there was a lot of a lot of hard work that I watched growing up. I mean, what about your parents? What was there? I mean, as as refugees really coming over after war torn, what your father was doing the whole nine yards, what were they doing in Oakland?
1: Absolutely, man. Um, yeah, my dad's career started like when he was 12. My grandpa passed um, at a fairly young age, like in his 40s, because of Agent Orange. He was in the wow. fields when they sprayed it on him. So my dad's a workhorse, man. Like my dad's like crazy workhorse, like Wolverine status, you know? <laughs> Good. Um, but yeah, so he's been working ever since he was 12. And the only type of work, because we're from an island. Yes, Vietnam has islands, but we're from the few islands that Vietnam has. Right. Um, The only work that he could acquire was, you know, to get on a boat and fish and sell at the market. Really? Uh, Yeah. So he's been selling fish ever since he was young. And still? Uh, um, He retired. uh, My sister and I very proudly uh, retired him about a few years back, about two years back. Um, so he was in seafood ever since he was 12. And when he came over here, he became a fishmonger and he has been a fishmonger over there in pier 45 for about the past, about close to 30 years now. Wow. So Dude, the you know, shit
0: that he's seen has got to be awesome. Cause that's yeah. a, that's a different world. Absolutely, man. And you know what I mean? Being on the, on the, on the wholesale end of food mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is a different world, man. A different
1: breed of people. Absolutely, man. And his, his life was tough, man. He would go to work at midnight and wouldn't come, come home to the next day during noon. So wow. I barely ever saw him because he was sleeping. Yeah. And additional to that, I think people don't know. I think fishmongers and butchers and everyone else who are in the food industry who, give, who gives us food every day for the grocery store, they're their hardest workers, man, because they, they work those crazy shifts. Additionally, in a refrigerated room, you know. Can you imagine working 12 hours, 10 hours, 8 hours at like what – like 35, 40 degrees, 40, 40 degrees sure. Fahrenheit below you all know? the time. And I think him working like that really deteriorated his knees. It gave him, you know, it gave him uh, First, I didn't give him, but, um, you know, he has a lot of problems with his back, his knees, his joints and all that stuff. And, um, I feel like, you know, he's, 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 a uh, he etched out for me what hard work means. Yeah. You know, and this is a guy who, because he was working at when he was 12 years old, he didn't go to school. He worked (laughs) beyond full time. Yeah, seven days a week. And, you know, my mom didn't know that he was illiterate until they refugied over to Thailand. Um, And, you know, and through registration, through their refugee camps, you have to write your name down. My dad couldn't write his own name. Wow. It's crazy. And like... I think at the end of the day, it's not about what privileges and I call education a privilege. Um, cause not everyone in the world has that access. And sure. at the same time, people deserve that. Right. My dad wasn't, didn't have access to those things, but it doesn't pull away from, from, from the amazing man that he is.
0: Of course. Well, and, and so was there a period where he started that he learned how to read or that he started to, to go into that? I mean, or is he still to this day? having, not you know? Does
1: he struggle? So my mom uh, taught him how to write and read at a very basic level um, wow. when they were in the refugee camps. Um, and additional to that, he's I think at this moment, like his his English is pretty solid, and he can read and write Vietnamese. Um, he could uh, he could read and write English as well, but his wow. English is probably like, you know, I'd say like sixth grade level, which is pretty easy.
0: (laughs) Oh yeah. I mean, but, but I guess, and also, but in that industry, the conversations that are happening are in Vietnamese. He's working with other Vietnamese people at that point. Am
1: I correct? Uh, in the very beginning. And then as his English progressed to get better, um, you know, it's English. And I think you've worked in a food industry as well too, is that there are people who don't speak any English in the beginning. And then, um, through the, through the will and resilience of, of people, um, People's desire to learn the work and the language and the culture, um, people will eventually learn. And I think that's my that's how my dad indirectly learned his English. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, what about your mom? What did she do? Uh, My mom was and always has been a career long seamstress. And once again, um, my sister and I are very proud to retire them about retire her um, about two years ago as well. So they're they're happily retired. Now, what do you mean that you guys retired them? How how was that? How's that possible, right? So, yeah, um, both of my parents are uh, have been laborers for many, many decades. They work very, very hard. Um, Yet my sister and I are in a um, decent financial situation where we figure it out where they don't have to work anymore and we can take care of their bills, um, X, Y and Z. Um, In addition to the small savings that they saved up for their retirement, um, we just felt that they were getting really old. It's one thing to retire as an engineer like or a lawyer or even a doctor, like in your mid-60s. It's another thing um, to retire up to that age, um, being a fishmonger and a seamstress. Um, Um, Those are incredibly laborious. My dad, to this day, I feel like he's the longest standing employee out of any fish company on Pier Forty Five. No one has ever lasted as long as he did uh, as a fish fishmonger. Everyone always transitions out to to be a delivery truck driver or a salesperson, or they switch industries. Right. Uh, it's like a temporary thing. But no one works. No one stays in it for more than ten years. Sure. And my dad is like thirty plus. Wow. hmm. I remember seeing a letter from my grandmother,
0: who died at the age of ninety three. I think. Wow. Amazing. And I rem- I remember saying she was a badass chick, dude. She was she got divorced from my grandfather when my father was two. So that's 1948. Uh Never remarried, raised my father as a single woman you nice. know during that time but but some of the coolest shit was you know seeing the travels that she had done and and hearing the stories but I found a letter years ago that she had written she worked for the DuPont corporation which is a pretty big company in Delaware they basically they own Delaware basically they're like the royal family of Delaware it's a lot of inbreeding and shit like that mm-hmm. and but she had written a letter to the whatever the president of DuPont or however it was that her her brother and two of her sisters, I believe, had a combined 125 years of employment, continuous employment That's insane. That's insane. <laughs> at DuPont. I mean, think about that, especially in our industry of the movement that we constantly have. You know, we get up and go at the drop of a hat. You know, yeah, we move quick, man. We go from restaurant to restaurant or from location to location pretty quickly with a lot of the shit that we do. So it's pretty nuts, man. But uh, but that's cool, man. Congratulations. I mean, to be able to take care of your parents that way and honor them in that way is a great thing. And it's got to be an amazing
1: feeling for you guys as well. Absolutely, man. And I'm not saying that my sister and I are like we have M's or D's or bones or or anything like that. But sure. I think – I think if there's a, well, there's a way and, you know, and when you, I, I think there isn't a better feeling than you making, uh, the compromises and the conscious decisions to, to budget yourself to take care of somebody else.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, and right. I, I, yeah. I No now, regrets.
0: Now what about your sister? Is your sister in the
1: industry? She do something else? My sister's older. We're six years apart. Um, okay. But if anybody asks her publicly, she's younger.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's
1: like my yeah, sister. You know I mean? Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but she's in HR and she's in um, she's in healthcare and she's doing oh. good. We're complete opposites. You know, she's like honors class in, in high right. school and like, you know, almost valedictorian and going to college, 4.0s, all that stuff. Super squared. And I'm the complete opposite. <laughs> oh, yeah. I can't
0: wait to get the fuck out of authority right
1: <laughs> yeah no i know that feeling man absolutely man. <clears throat> so
0: what brings you to you know what what moves you into the food world then at that point i mean how old were we were you when you started working in a
1: kitchen um, just kind of speak and attest to it. Well, I started cooking, I was a dishwasher about 16, 17 years old. You need a first job, right? So yeah, you, you do go to the restaurant, yeah. but I think what attracted me towards cooking, just the overall scheme of things is that I feel like chefs are black sheeps of a classroom or of a population. Um, I feel that we are, um, the part of the population that people forgot about Were the ex cons ex felons we are the ones with tattoos we are the ones that people are scared of all those things all in all right and i think yeah. uh, that's why i love anthony bourdain so much was that he represented us and he made it he made people understand who we were and what we were and made it cool yeah. um you know rest in peace to anthony bourdain that's 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 a, he's a saint <laughs> um but i think that's one of the things that attracted me was that um for the first time in my life i did something and somebody said that i did it good and i made a good product or i cleaned something really really well without any judgment of what i wore who i hung out with or where i came from right and i felt such gratification in that and it it rings true to this day i have people I'm, man i'm telling you duffy man like uh brian i'm telling you man like To this day, I'm sure you get it, too. There's certain people who who won't shake your hand because of the way you look and the way you talk and what you represent. Um, I was in a meeting yesterday with some people from the tech space uh, for a potential collaboration project. Um, This person had no idea who I was or or what I represented, and I think my introduction was premature, but I reached out for a handshake, and she looks at my hand, she says, Oh, I have a cold. Um, you don't want to you don't, I don't you don't want to shake my hand. However, at the end of that conversation, she gave me a hug. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. You know, so that's 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 a situation I've been dealing with for my whole life. And I, I say it rings true to this day in a sense where if you look at a plate and it could be like John George, Danielle blue three mission star world's top 50 type of plate. You oftentimes when you eat it and it's delicious, you give a fuck what that person looks like, right? Because <laughs> right? you know, when you make good food, there shouldn't there aren't any prejudices on prejudices on how people look like because it it really doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> well, and I think
0: I think now we're we're at such a because of the internet, because of social media, because of the the kind of. Inside look at what it is that, that we do, that the average consumer is much more, they're much more aware of some of the trials and tribulations, as well as the outlets that we have to be, whether it's tattoos or, you know, whether it's, it's, it's boozing or or however it is, we're more accepted as, as a group because chefs are fucked up individuals. Yeah, we are. (laughs) We're some some sick motherfuckers, man. You know, we ride people all day long. We work our balls off the entire day. We're out at midnight as opposed to coming home at midnight. Mm -hmm. You know, and then we're back up at 7 or 8 o'clock in the morning again to go right back at it. And I think that – I, I think that it's opened up a, a whole new vision into a world that we live. Whereas before, look at the guys who were the big wigs back then. We look at Charlie Trotter. We look at Daniel Boulot. We look at John George. We look at George Perrier. These guys were all straight laced, white jacket, toque across the board. When was the last time you put a fucking toke on?
1: Exactly. Right. You know,
0: now yeah. we have a creative freedom. Now we have the ability with whether it's Chefworks and Chefware and these 47 other companies that are out there that are offering us an opportunity to be individuals as opposed to a soldier standing in line wearing a white jacket and check pants.
1: Right. Right.
0: You know, I mean, I went to culinary school. I had to wear a toque every day. I had to wear a white jacket. I had to be clean shaven. I had to have, you know, clean checks on. I had to have black shoes on. And I remember it was called the Die Hard that was the shoe that I bought when I went to culinary school. I was in culinary school three weeks ago and everybody's in jeans, t-shirts, short, you know, t-shirts, shirts, hoodies, you know, whatever they want to wear. And then they have to get dressed to go into a kitchen. I think that that has changed wow. a lot of the, the dynamic of where we are. You know, mm-hmm. I, I grew up in a French kitchen. I did my apprenticeship at the Four Seasons. And then I went to an Italian restaurant and mm-hmm. did it at a pretty high end Italian place. But we're at a world now where there's such a vision, into our lives of what we do and the celebrity chef or the chef is a rock star in this way so there's much more of an acceptance and and for somebody not to shake your hand first off I'm a forceful handshaker if you shake my hand like you're a bitch then I'm going to (laughs) call you out for being a bitch you know if you and I when I shook your hand when I saw you last time, I shook your hand, and then we pulled each other in, and we went for a hug. Like that is – there was a brotherly bond at that moment. doesn't Absolutely. matter who we are, where we're from, or what we do. There's a okay. general respect because I get what you do. You get what I do, and it's, a, and it's a different world. But I have had more than my share of people who put that wet fish handshake out there, who put that, that handshake out there, and they don't even look you in the eye. And yeah. they're like, oh, it's nice to meet you. And I've called people out. Well, if mm. it's nice to meet me, then look me in the eye.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then
0: shake me because my father always said, be it a man or a woman, shake their hand with respect and let them know that you're interested in meeting that person.
1: Absolutely. You know? and there's, so- a, there's a saying, sorry to interrupt, but I just want to add to that. But there's a saying um, in California, specifically in the Bay Area, where they say, real recognizes real. And that's true, man. Oh. And, and at the end of the day, there's a lot more fake people than there are real. So when I met you, likewise, just to kind of reciprocate your feeling. Um, man I was like this dude's real man I could just tell right off the back. it was just good vibes all throughout man so well, and, there's know, always, and
0: I've always had a vibe about you I mean cause the, the you know just with the stuff that I followed for you and seeing you in the past and, and all of that there's something to be said about it and then when I started to do more research on you because you know I mean look I'm about to have you on a show I do some research I want to know some more about it and you and I having a conversation like we had a pretty generic conversation at that point how mm-hmm. are you good to see you great what do you serve and what are you doing like, you know, at Absolutely. that moment? And it's really funny because I believe my friend Tori came over to me and she's like, Did you know this guy's fucking story? Mm-hmm. And I was like, wait a second, what are you talking about? Like, you know, I've seen him before, we've talked, blah, blah, blah. And then she started to tell me about a lot of the stuff that you do, the charity work that you do as well. Absolutely, man. And and so so I really and that honestly was one of the reasons, not the only, but one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on is because I'm a huge believer in the fact that we've been given, whether it a talent, a creative outlet, whatever it is, that we have to share that with people. Absolutely, man. So so what is that? What is that
1: world for you? Where are you with that? I just just want to start off by being cheesy, man, with uh, a quote from JFK, or at least a bastardized version of what JFK would say, right? (laughs) But uh, JFK, for me, he breaks down privilege so well. Um, And I remember there was during a time where JFK and uh, Bobby, his brother, were campaigning, and people ridicule him for their privilege, the fact that it came with money, and they have all these opportunities and whatnot. And consistently across the board, their responses to the media and to to the people that were hating on them is that, uh, yes, you're right. We do come from a family of privilege, but with our privilege, we were taught to use our privilege to give back. You know, and I felt I felt like that struck so strongly with me, you know, yeah. and these, these are two cats and not people of color. They're two white cats who are in politics, who come from extremely privileged places. So just that inspired me and gave me chills to my bones. It's like if they're doing it in their space, I need to do it in mine too. You know, like I I don't have the privilege that they do, but just that simple notion of breaking out what privilege is and giving, you know, know, uh, the concept of reaching forward, not just with both hands, but reaching forward with one hand and reaching back with your other hand to kind of pull people up with you. That is a social responsibility that everybody needs to have, whether you're a celebrity or a school teacher or, you know, even like a high school kid, you know, who, who've made who hasn't made it in the world yet. And if we, and I feel like that should be the true measure of people. Like, Fuck Instagram, man. Fuck Twitter. Fuck yeah. getting clout, you know, on likes and views and all that shit. I feel like people's measurement of quality um should be not how much they've succeeded in the world, but how much they've helped the world. You know, and that's yeah. that's been my jam from day one, man, because I come from a fucked up place, man, you know, and, you know, if I you know, if I'm able to like, you know, come up out of my community, I think the thing that hurts me the most is that everyone that's left behind. You know, I feel like everyone feels, everyone has human compassion. It's just as of 2019, people have trained themselves to ignore it. Um, so that's the reason why I, I, I've always been interested in community service. It's 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 a way um, for me to understand people, uh, but most importantly, it gives me answers to um, the people who haven't made it out of my community. Um, and I think that kind of leads into our question. You were saying that I did community work. So um, I uh, go into a maximum security prison and I work with incarcerated men to teach them how to cook as a reform program. Right. And people are like, aren't you scared? I'm like, it's not about being scared. You know, especially coming from Oakland. It's not about, you know, you walk the streets that I grew up on. It's not about it's not about being scared. And I learned at university, man, like, if you give people respect, you get respect. And you gotta reciprocate it all throughout, whether you're in prison, outside of prison, in Compton, um, I don't know, like in Vietnam, in Idaho, or in France, in Africa, whatever it is. If you give people respect, you get respect. Period, you know? Yeah, no Yeah, so like, um, going into that space, um, you know, I've had a few childhood friends that were in and out in that space. Um, and I had a few childhood friends that that lived that sort of lifestyle. Going into that space, um, you know, additional to the giving part, it was a great way for me to test my prejudices. Um, and if I can elaborate on that, everyone has prejudices, right? And I don't feel like your prejudices are truly tested until you go into a place like prison. Um, that being said, because in prison, it's everything horrible that you can think of. They separate the population by race and color. Um, everyone in there has different politics. Um, no matter who you are, if you go into prison, there's some population in there that wants to kill you or have killed people that look like you, right? And Additional to that, there are people in there who harm, um, who have done harm to women, children, um, elderly people, things that... Would go against anyone else's, any normal person's values, you know. And uh, I wanted to test my beliefs in reform, in uh, specifically, you know, in the criminal justice system. And I wanted to see if I can work with people and not know what their history is, but still give them an opportunity to kind of like have a chance to possibly be a contributor to society. I am i mean, obviously I'm not the sole decider of that. I'm just in this program in hopes to um, uh, heal people, you know, even if that's, you know, that's the success rate. I don't know. I know it's not a hundred percent, but you know, it's the attempt to, um, well, and be, uh, yeah, sorry. You got, mm-hmm.
0: no, 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 you keep going. I'll, I'll interrupt when I feel good. Go.
1: Yeah. And being in that space, man, I'm telling you, chef, man, like it changed my fucking life, bro. You know? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I,
0: I, I did like, I mean, I know this, uh, this is going to sound like a fucked up thing because these are, but I mean, this is what we do at this point is TV and stuff like that. I shot a show in a maximum prison
1: and (coughs) and
0: I met, I met individuals, you know, you've got to be, you've got to be on your game all the time.
1: Mm -hmm. You know,
0: whether, I mean, I was in a maximum security section. I got, you know, uh, it's not like I was in there for months upon, uh, 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 on months. I mean, I was in, I was shooting a show and, but the ingenuity of some of these guys, you know, and, and the self-preservation for what they have, Mm -hmm. it, it leads you to a point and you can tell the difference between the guys that are like, all right, I fucked up. I made a mistake. I did something stupid. I need to get the fuck out of here so I can go out and be a member of society, a productive member. And then there's the guys that are Like, I'm fucked. I'm never getting out. It's never going to happen. That's right. You know, and I mean, there was there was a, there was actually a great show called The make. Uh, was it making a murder? No, there was a uh, it was called I am killer. Hmm. And there was a show uh, that was it basically followed guys on death row. And this kid was this guy was now 46 or 47 or 48, whatever it was. But he went into jail when he was 16. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he went in when he was 16 on stupid drug charges, got in jail, and he had whatever, four years, three Mm -hmm. years, and he got in jail, and he got in a fight, and they tacked another year onto him. Wow. You know, and then he's like, so now I'm in jail. Now I got a year added on to my sentence for something that was stupid because it was like robbery or, you know, it was something stupid. But he ended up, and he's like, next thing I know, now I'm in jail. It's 10 years later. Mm -hmm. And he's like, and all I'm thinking about is how the fuck am I going to get out of jail at this point? Because Mm he he's like, I got to defend myself while I'm in here. Otherwise, I'm going to be end up end up being a bitch and I'm going to end up being taken advantage of by other guys around me. That's right. So I have to start preserving my own life. And he's like, and now every time I do, I'm getting tacked on for another year. And he's like, I've been in jail. I I can't remember. I think he was in jail for 37 years. Wow. Wow. And he said, and I came in on my initial charge, which was three or four years. Mm. He said half of that time was spent in, sol- in, in solitary confinement. That's so fucked Because up. every time he got in trouble, he ended up going into solitary. Plus, he got tacked on more stuff. He said, so it got to a point that I realized the only way that I'm ever going to get out of jail is if I am killed. Mm. And the only way that that's really going to happen is if I kill somebody else. And that's what he did. He said, so, you know, 12 years ago, I made my plan. He said, I had a new cellmate who came in. One night, I waited till the lights came off. I looked over him. I looked down at his face, and I covered his mouth, and I strangled him. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. And I looked at him the whole time because it was the only way that I was ever going to get out of jail. And there are guys that are like that, that just know that the only way to get out. Now, you know, I mean, I shot this show and Mm -hmm. I met a dude who was uh, an Iraqi war vet and um, Afghanistan vet who was a grappling instructor for the FBI. Wow. Came home one day, walked into his house where one of his old uh, one of his old platoon mates was living in his house with him, and he was banging his wife. Wow. And he's like, so now I come home. He and I get into a fight. I beat the shit out of the guy because that's the only thing that I know what to do at that point. Yeah. You know, He came at me, and this guy's telling me this story. Now, granted, I'm in jail, but I have to take what this guy's telling me at at, at face value at this point. Absolutely, absolutely. But, but what I will say is that I did end up speaking to – a corrections officer was in there and he's like, brother, this guy's no shit. Like he knows what he's talking about and he's the real deal. This is the truth of his story. And, you know, so he got uh, domestic violence because the guy lived in his house. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So he was the type of guy. He's like, I got five years in here. He said, when everybody else is awake, I'm either in the kitchen cooking or I'm asleep in my room. Mm -hmm. He's like, I wake up at three o'clock in the morning. I go into the kitchen. I start making breakfast for all the CEOs. Mm -hmm. Then I come back out. Then I start, you know, when these guys are eating breakfast, I'm in my room taking a nap. When -hmm. they're done breakfast and they go back into their cells, I am then allowed back into the community so I can clean up after these guys. He's Mm -hmm. like, I'm doing everything in my, he said, I haven't been outside in two and a half years. Crazy, man. (laughs) Because he's like, if I go outside, somebody's going to come after me. Somebody's Mm -hmm. because he's like, right now it looks like I'm protected because I'm in my room all the time. He's like, so I can't leave my room while everybody else is in gen pop because of the fact that I'm going to get in trouble while I'm out there because of what these guys are going to do to me. And I have to defend myself. Absolutely. So it's like, you know, that whole prison world. So then for you to get in there and be able to show these guys something else.
1: Yeah, man. It's a big uh,
0: fucking deal, man.
1: Yeah, I try to, man. I think we all try. I think the most important, the most powerful thing people can do is stop stating an opinion, shut the fuck up and listen. (laughs) That's the truth as well. Yeah, Yeah, that's, 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 I think that could be applied in any situation. And I think that's what I meant by testing my prejudice. I was like, you know, respectfully to myself, could I shut the fuck up, you know, and stop stating my opinions and just listen um, from all sides and all angles. And I, I felt like that changed my life. And it takes a lot to do that. It does, you know, like you gotta be, I think you gotta be willing. Uh, do I have certain prejudices? I think everyone has prejudices, you know? Um, but I think it's, it's, it's very important that you test, uh, that you identify those things and you test it out, you know? And I feel like when you're prejudiced, you're not able to think in a linear way, you know? It's I think it's a, it's a testament and a thought that uh, pays, pays homage to critical thinking, you know? And I think that's super important in 2019.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, and we're in we're in such a world where you know we don't we don't respect opinions. Mm-hmm. We no longer. I mean, you know, I, I'll nail it down to the simple fact of of the day, election day, whatever it was, two thousand sixteen, mm-hmm. when I was standing in line at Rite Aid, mm-hmm. and there was a conversation amongst the very very uh, uh, it, 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 it empowered. Um, <sighs> What word am I looking for here? The very empowered, the very uh, closed minded. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I'll say that. Sure. I can go there. I don't mm-hmm. have a problem with that at all. You mm-hmm. know, where, where they were talking about Trump and the fact that he was elected and how horrible everything's going to be and what a shit show it's going to be. And 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 somebody, you know, people are talking about it. I said, hey, I voted for Trump
1: mm-hmm.
0: Now, mm-hmm. And for voting for Trump, nobody, nobody needs to know. Nobody needs to care. Mm -hmm. But the the guy, literally a guy turned around and looked at me and he said, what are you, a fucking asshole? Mm -hmm. And I looked at the guy and I said, you do, this isn't Facebook, brother. Like you didn't just post that on a wall. Like we're standing in front of each other. Mm -hmm. And that day things changed there was no longer opinions were no longer respected and debated they were shut down shunned and shut off you don't believe in what i believe in i'm done with you so i think that you're right we all have a bit of prejudice and i think that that prejudice has changed dramatically because it's not so much about a color or a race or a lineage it's now about well you know what are your political values and we're racist towards we're racist and prejudice against people that don't believe in what we believe in Absolutely man and like and it's not, uh, it's a horrible place to be now it is, Because man. you can't have an educated conversation. I remember my parents in the 70s and 80s sitting on the front porch of our house that my parents worked their fucking asses off to pay for to put us into a good school district. Mm-hmm. As my father, who was in school his entire life, as my mother, who was an educated woman, who was a nurse, a very diverse woman who, from the Midwest who got to see all sorts of shit from being an ER nurse, okay? Mm-hmm. And listening to them debate politics politics and debate, you know, current events and all of that. And at the end of the day, it was, you know, they had a cocktail, they had a conversation and then they went home and now it's, I'm not fucking talking to that guy again. We're so shut off to so many other people. And I think that one of the cool things about what you do and in reality, one of the cool things about what I get to do is we get to travel. We get to see different diverse cultures. We get to see different styles and different families and, and all of these different opportunities that are out there for us because we're not closed minded to the area that we're living in the color of our skin and nobody else around us. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think that's led us to be in a real, Really great place of patience, of opinionated discussions where we really do have a discussion. I think chefs discuss quite a bit. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Because we have such a diverse group of people that we have to work with, you're putting a mesh of some pretty fucked up individuals into a high pressure situation. And in some cases, you're hoping you don't get fucking stabbed by the guy who's running your grill station, who's now dragging 15 steaks.
1: That's right.
0: (laughs) You know, and it makes us a different group, a different culture. Mm -hmm. And I, I had a conversation, a friend of mine called me the other night. She had a really shitty situation that happened to her in a very... God overpowering um, it, it almost sexual abuse manner where this guy was like, I can do anything I want to you and there's nothing that you can do about it. And she's a doctor. She's a doctor in an inner city hospital in Philadelphia. And I've wow. never felt more useless mm-hmm. because there was nothing that I could do for her because I had never been involved in that situation. I'm not a woman. I wouldn't understand it. And it's Absolutely. funny because during that time frame, I looked back on my life And all the situations that I've been in that I'm pretty calm, cool and collected, you know, I got a flat tire in fucking, you know, a a part of Washington a couple weeks ago, and my buddy looked at me, he's like, dude, you're not even fucking angry. I'm like, well, what am I going to do? Get angry at the fucking tire? Get angry at the rock? (laughs) Get angry at the nail? Am I angry at the $600 that I just spent on a new fucking tire? No, I'm thankful that somebody had the ability to come and pick me up. I'm thankful that there was a guy who was open at four o'clock on a Thursday afternoon Mm -hmm. who was willing to fix my tire. It cost me 500 bucks for him to do that and 100 bucks for the guy to tow me, but I'm Mm -hmm. thankful that these guys are out there mm-hmm, and it's a situation I can't get angry at it you know Amen. and I think that's one of the best parts about what we do because
1: we do have an open mind absolutely man and that's awesome. that's, that's that's your preaching man yeah keep going you're on a beat man keep preaching <laughs> <laughs> and that that you know that's something that's very interesting that you said that too is that I think uh you know we're we're we're, we're on the same rhythm we're on the same note um, and I do commencement speeches here and there, and they uh, invite me to schools and graduations to do speeches and all that stuff. And, you know, the, 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 the lessons that I always try to consistently convey across the young generation is that there's two crucial things that they need to learn to be able to navigate the world. And I, uh, those two lessons for me and for them would be learn how to tolerate. And after you learn how to tolerate, you have to learn how to forgive sure and if I can elaborate on that toleration I think not everyone comes from the background that you come from not everyone sees the light that you uh, that you see not everyone has not everyone sees that the cup is half full or doesn't see that the cup is half empty Uh, at the end of the day their ideas may be conflicting with you and you need to be able to tolerate that and have this understanding that 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 perspectives will always be different and in with that tolerance, maybe you could, there could be some insight that 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 you can key out where they just didn't have an opportunity to learn. Like, for example, I had one of my best buds. Um, his name is um, – uh, I'm sorry. His name is uh, – uh, I don't know. I'm blanking out on his name.
0: Dude, that shit happens to me all the time, so don't even worry about it.
1: Um, but his name is Nick, and I worked with him in New York. And he's from Kentucky. And he had no idea at that time in the community that he was from, he never met a really tall Vietnamese person before he couldn't figure out what I am. And depending on who you are, most Asian people would get pissed off, but this dude genuinely didn't know he had yeah. this complete detachment because he was never exposed to it, to what Asian culture and what Southeast Asians are and what they represent and all that stuff. Right. He was just purely in a respectful way, just purely ignorant of it. And he's, right. he, you know, he said this to me in a very genuine in that moment, I, I tolerated his ignorance. I allowed it because it was genuine. It wasn't, he wasn't antagonizing me. And then in an opportunity at the same time, um, I gave, you know, I, 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 I forgave the fact that he didn't know. And in addition to that, we became great friends because, you know, when I sat him down and explained to him in a tone opposed to like trying to destroy what he is and what, what he represents because he's never met a Vietnamese person before. Like he was, you know, he was super receptive to it. Yeah, And I think that's the thing. Is like if we meet people with different opinions and ideas, I think there's opportunity for conversation. If you don't if you don't have those conversations, those, you know, there won't be any learning opportunities for either side, you know, and I think when we when we shut people's ideas and thoughts down and how they feel, I think you're indirectly saying I don't, give a, I, don't, I don't care who you are. I don't care what you represent. My struggle is more important than yours. And it's, uh, people's struggles and experience are all speculative. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, if we can just understand we're all human, we're all people, we've come from the human race and everyone's struggle is relevant. Every, everyone's struggle is important. So we should listen to all of them. Right. So, yeah.
0: Well, I mean, there was a, there was a period of time. I mean, for a while there I was, you know, I live in a pretentious area outside of Philly that, that there's diversity, but there's not, a, a, there's not as much as I've seen in other, in other areas, New York, Philly, D, you know, New York, center city, Philly, DC, Boston, you know, a lot, LA, you know, San Francisco, Oakland, all that stuff. I mean, there's, you don't see as much in this little area that I live in. And it's funny because as I grew up as in an Irish Catholic household, You know, where I went to Catholic school, I went to Catholic church, I was around the same people all the time Mm. and look the Catholic religion is is pretty fucking judgmental I'm not gonna lie about it Mm -hmm. you know it's a pretty judgmental world God loves you God loves all but don't do this or God won't love you don't be gay God won't love you don't have sex before you get married God won't love you so there's a lot of conflicting things that were put out there and at the same time it kind of closed our minds and what I how I feel to things that I would see on a daily basis and I remember one day driving down the street and seeing this kid with his fucking pants hanging down below his ass and his underwear and the whole nine yards, and I thought, how? who am I to judge him? Mm-hmm. It's the same as me wanting to wear a fucked up colored pair of socks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's the same as me buying chef wear pants 20 years ago that have fucking fish on them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it's that same thing. So who am I to judge? Who am I to, to try to figure out who that guy is just by the way he's dressed? And I remember that moment. It was so vivid to me because it changed so much of my outlook. And it was around that same time frame where I was traveling, mm-hmm. where I was seeing these different people, where I was watching 425 different groups of people walk onto a plane, mm-hmm. you know? And it changed so much of my mentality. And this was about 10 years ago. But it changed so much of my mentality of the world because I was like, well, who am I to make a judgment of this guy? He's happy with the way he's dressed. He's happy with what he's got on. He's happy with what he's doing. And it's funny because as that 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 world started to change and that flux went into the person that I feel that I am today, mm-hmm. a lot of things changed. The materialistic attitude Mm-hmm. the, the, the need to have bigger and better all the time. Mm-hmm. That's a big change for me. And I, a lot of that I attribute to the way that the, the time that I spend in kitchens and the other stuff. So I don't know. I Actually, don't know. It's okay.
1: No, it's not weird, man. I think you're, I think you're sparking on to a good point, man, is that I think this kitchen specifically, man, they, they're able to highlight people's true color, well, I, you've heard this saying before, right? Uh, especially in dish pit, you could see a person's true colors, let them work in a kitchen for about a week or more. And then you see who that person really is. And I think kitchens allow that no matter what you look like or no matter where you're from, color, size, you know, underweight, overweight, whatever it is. I feel like kitchens allow you to appreciate true values of people and see past what the surface stuff is. And I think right now we're too pissed off at people or we're divided as a country because of the surface stuff. Yeah.
0: Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But I also think that, look, and I'm not going to get into politics. I'm not going to get into any of that shit because in reality nobody cares. Yeah, true. Nobody cares (laughs) what the opinion is because if I I differ from what somebody else thinks, then they're just going to shut down. Absolutely. we have, we all, every one of us, we have to to stop the the judgment. We have to start. We're all. I don't give a fuck who you have sex with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't care what you identify yourself with. I think it's a little weird. I'm not gonna lie mm-hmm. that there's a, there are a group of people who who consider themselves as non-binary or I don't I don't I don't I think it's a little different than mm-hmm. what I am. Mm-hmm. But I really don't care. I don't care who you have sex with. I don't care if you have sex with anybody
1: mm-hmm.
0: because we're all just doing what it is that we are doing for ourselves to make our, to be happy,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, and, and the stuff that makes me happy may not make you happy. You know, what makes me happy is what I did a couple of weeks ago when I saw you, which is standing around a whole bunch of guys that and, and girls that are really interested in what it is that we do. We got to cook for a whole bunch of people that love the shit that we put together. Absolutely. You know, I mean, they love the dishes that were put together. They love the 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 stuff that we did and we made people happy that night. And we made people happy through food.
1: You're right, man. Forget about all the other stuff, man. Stay in your lane and worry about what's in your lane. Yeah. Yeah. Stop telling other people how to live their lives. Right. Exactly. That's
0: that's the thing is we have so many people telling us what to do. You can't have an abortion. Mm. Well, why not? You can't, you know, who, first off, who the fuck ever came up with the world of let's tell a woman what to do with her body? That makes zero sense to me. Mm -hmm. Women, and and I've said it for for years, women who, they have the most important job on the face of the earth. earth. I just said earth, by the way. I don't know where that came from, but I meant to say earth. (laughs) But they have the most important job on the face of the earth, which is, 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 is making a fucking human life.
1: Absolutely, man.
0: And now we're gonna tell you what to do, or we're gonna treat you as a second class citizen, or we're gonna treat you like shit, or we're gonna make you feel inferior. That just doesn't make sense to me. I hold women on a pedestal because I think it's fucking awesome.
1: It's awesome, man. You, you know, I feel the Tupac. I feel the Tupac coming out of you, man. Tupac is <laughs> just the same thing. I
0: love it. I love it. Just it. Yeah. Like, who are we to make who to make somebody feel like shit? Look, I have girls, man. My girls are 18 and 15. You know, Mm -hmm. my daughter called a guy called her her boyfriend out a couple of weeks ago and said, like, you know what? I'm kind of fucking tired of paying for everything. Mm -hmm. I'm not telling you, you got to pay for everything. But Mm -hmm. I'm saying, you know, because I taught my girls, you always go out with money in your pocket Mm -hmm. and you always offer to pay the bill. Even if it's just your half, you always offer because I don't ever want them to be indebted to somebody. I don't want them to feel as if they owe somebody something. Mm -hmm. I want them to be able to stand up and walk out of a situation that they're uncomfortable in. My daughter walked out on a date a couple of months ago because she's like, hey, look, it's great. You're a nice guy, but you're not for me, so I'm out. Here's 20 bucks for what I ordered. And she left.
1: Good for her. <laughs> you
0: know, and a lot of people are like, "Oh, that sounds like she's a bitch." No, she. Wh- why is she going to go on a date with a guy that she doesn't enjoy? The guy was flexing; he was trying to be cool. I drive this. I do this. My parents make this, and my daughter doesn't give two shits about that. She grew up in a chef household where she's accountable for her actions.
1: I'm I'm curious about that, and this at this this stems back to masculinity toxicity, but like. Yeah. When a woman stands up for herself or she expresses herself, she becomes a bitch or she becomes too difficult or she becomes too ambitious. You know, like I I think I think um, on the behalf of men, we get to do better, man. I feel like I feel like the 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 illusion or the stigma of um, women need to be women needing to be in their place, or they have a certain role to play. is complete bullshit, man. Totally. Um, and, and men think, put that and men put that stigma out there, though. Absolutely, and I think uh, I, I appreciate. Um, a person such as yourself and myself to be able to speak on it on a public platform. I, and I th- encourage that holy man, like we need to be allies. I feel that if we truly care about something, we need to come together as a community and lock in, in with each other as a community to bring that that force forth. Um, respectfully, uh, especially, you know, when there's a women's movement or a women's march, uh, it's just so much more powerful, If it were fifty percent men and fifty percent women, totally. If it's just all women, it's just you know they get belittled. They're like it's a women's issue. No, it's not a women's issue. It's a society issue. It affects us all, you know.
0: You know, my my daughter went to the women's march in D.C. Mm. and I remember her coming home, and she was sixteen when that happened. And I said, "Like fuck, like tell me what was it like." And she said, "Honestly, Dad, I was embarrassed to be a woman that day." Why's that? She said, because the whole day was spent belittling and, 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 and bashing the president. Hmm. It was spent talking about, you know, she said there were, there were things on posters that I was, that I, I, I kind of shivered at cause I couldn't believe that people were saying this. And she said, all it made the women do is look like they were victims in every situation.
1: Mm. I
0: thought I was going to a women's power march a a an empowerment I didn't know that I was going down so I could hear people just talk shit Mm. and she said she's like I was kind of embarrassed about it like it wasn't something and she's not political she's got great visions and great thoughts and and all of that but but she has a, she has a voice and she's like, I just don't ever want to be to a point that I have to get my voice or my point across by bashing something or bashing someone.
1: See that, that scare That scares me, man. And I think, uh, respectfully saying so, I think, um, most people in the United States in this Western world, they haven't truly experienced war. Yeah. Um, we hear about it. We hear about it.
0: And every now and then you might see it when you see, you know, on Facebook, a picture of a, an American soldier being taken off of a plane yep. in a bag or in a coffin. That's really the only experience that any of us have. I have zero experience with war.
1: Yeah. I, I tell you this, man. My parents remind me every day. Um you know, and that's why they raise, uh, they raise and encourage love in in the things that I touch and speak to and interact with. Um, I feel like all these things that we're talking about is is a huge recipe for hate, and with hate, that can that can boil into war very, very easily. Sure. And when war comes about, it tears apart families, communities, and, and literally everyone dies and there's no winning side ever, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, and that scares the shit out of me, you know, when people are banded together and unified for, uh, the, uh, uh, unified over over a similar idea of hate towards yeah. a gr- another group of people or towards a certain person, and uh, and I, I I don't know, man. I, I get I lost words for stuff like this. That, see, I think that's the thing is people don't understand what they're uh, how things are stewing right now. Oh my and God! If, if if we go into a war. I don't know how it t- it would turn into war, but if it does, like a civil war, that Dude, shit would be super fucked up, man. It is happening, you know. I
0: I sat with, um, I, you know, I meet really fucking cool people. Yeah. I meet them all over the fucking world, and look, the platform that 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 put me into that, you know, was was Bar Rescue. I've done TV for a long time, and I haven't been on Bar Rescue in almost eight years, but. But it, it gave me uh, it gave me an opportunity to be able to go out and meet people and have conversations. You and I wouldn't know each other if it weren't for that that platform that that launched me into that world. Absolutely. But I sat down at a bar in Brooklyn about seven months ago. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. 10 months. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. But I sat down at a bar and it was late. I was coming home and I do what I do, which is I walk cities now. I love to walk the cities. I talked on on my show that I did two weeks ago about the fact that I walked Detroit at 2.30 in the morning while it was snowing. And it was one of the most peaceful walks that I've ever had. Mm-hmm. Because of a city that is so struggling still that had, you know, a million people in a years ago and now there's 600,000 in there. It's the lowest population it's ever been. It's mm-hmm. a poor area. But anyway, I, I, I walk cities and I was walking Brooklyn and I was on the corner of Duffield Street and whatever the fuck my hotel was. But I remember taking a picture at that moment of that sign and thinking what cool it is that, that, that I live in this world where I can get out and I can do this. And I walked into a bar and I sat down and there were these three big motherfuckers that were sitting at the bar. Yeah. And we, were the one, we were four of probably eight people in this bar. Mm-hmm. and it was one o'clock in the morning and the bartender was in there and she was getting ready to close up and then these guys, we started to strike up a conversation and they were um, uh, D- uh, Department of Justice. Mm-hmm. Three pretty fucking big wigs by the conversation that I had with them and information that we were discussing and the guy looked at me and he said, in all honesty, the terrorists that we need to worry about are the terrorists that are on our own soil at this point. Mm. The people, whether it be Antifa or whether it be anything else, he said, they're the ones that we need to fully focus on at this point. And he said, I'm not going to tell you that that's what we're doing, but that's what we're fucking doing. Mm. Because they're the ones that are the biggest problem at this point that we have is the people that are, on our, that are, that are, that are wanting to overturn and fight and turn it into this, this, this world of anger mm-hmm. across the board. And that's what we need to worry about
1: i tell you something, man. My parents came here, and we are so proud to be Americans. Um, they're both citizens. You, know. you
0: chose it, and that's something that I it. think is a big fucking difference. We are entitled. You
1: chose it. And the other thing that's super important to understand is that, you know, I think I'm, I'm a big believer in America. It's not perfect. No. And I don't think you should hate on a system just because you disagree with the person that's running it. You know, and I feel like if you compare America's history to the rest of the world, um, you'd be pleasantly surprised on how fucked up other countries are. <laughs> you know but at the same
0: mean? time, we're 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 a redheaded stepchild in this world. We've been around for 200 plus years. You're looking at Vietnam that's been around for how fucking long? You're super- looking at China. You're looking at Korea. You're looking at at mm-hmm. at you know all of these other places in the world. That have been around, that have practiced, that have done it some some places, three thousand years of history. Uh And here's us like, yeah, fuck you. Uh We're the world power. Uh I got a problem with that. Uh I think that we need to be more humble as Americans and really start to pay attention to what goes on in these other parts of the
1: world, because I think that there's a lot that we can learn. Absolutely I think the goal and aspiration to learn more and do better, I think that spirit needs to live on. I agree with you that it's dying. but I think at the core values of what the con- how the Constitution is written and how we strive forth from Abraham Lincoln to Roosevelt to uh, Benjamin Franklin to JFK to Obama and up until now like all those things put in place whether you agree or disagree, on each president what they did and what they contributed I think it's really important to understand that the structure and platform of what America exists on allows people to voice allow peoples to vote allows us to change rules allows You know, allows us to regulate Congress in some shape or form, and obviously and naturally, like at the end of the day, if we don't practice our rights, if we don't educate ourselves on how the system works, all those things will get uh, all those things will get ruled out. In complete contrast, if you compare ourselves to a, a country like, I don't know, like Vietnam or China, like there's zero voice and there's censorship. Like in North Korea, like there's censorship. Like you can't voice your opinion without going to jail. You can't voice your opinion sure. without getting killed, you know? Oh, absolutely. So that's, the, so that's the extremity of things. Is, is our healthcare system the best right now? Probably not. But like, once again, if you don't educate yourself, you don't vote and you're not participating in this democracy, it's not going to work. I really believe in the potential Not that it's perfect right now, but in the potential of what America can be. And I personally feel burning down America is not the right way to do it. You know, I agree. So, yeah,
0: I mean, there's a lot of we need to raise our opinions and we need to raise our voices for what's happening in the political world. We have to. I mean, that's the thing is we are the people and that's the whole way that it starts. We the people. You know, we have to be able to put the right people in place and move on from there. We have to put people that we trust are going to do the job that is going to happen. Look, we had a humanitarian president. The guy was there for eight years. He was a very humanitarian president. What did we want after that? We wanted a business smart president. And that's what we have. Mm -hmm. We have a guy who's changed the business of the United States and people don't want to see that. They don't want to hear about it, you know, but in reality, what's happening in the background is that we're a stronger nation on a financial level than we ever have been. Mm -hmm. You know how hard it is. How hard is it to find somebody to work in a fucking kitchen right now? Because there's jobs everywhere. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I'm not agreeing. I'm not saying that, that Obama was the greatest. I'm not saying that Trump is the greatest. But what I'm saying is that we have what was voted in. Mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. people spoke and that's what they want. And mm-hmm. I think right now people are so are so angry because look, this guy's a fucking douchebag.
1: Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. He's just a douchebag, you know? But he's doing what he was hired to do, which is to be a business president.
1: I think if you look at any election, it's always checks and balances. You know, sure. some years is Republican, other years is Democrat. And so checks and balances. But we wouldn't be America without it. So right. I think that's just what it is. It's like he has a max term of eight years if he gets his second term. Same thing with Obama. He had this max term of eight years and things go back and forth. It's a checks and balance things, you know, like that's just the history of the world. It's like things go up, things go down. And whatever you mean, whatever people think of as up um, is is, is speculative to people who think it may be down. So it's just that's the thing. It's like different people win in different times of different eras. And if well, you can, if you play it like an entrepreneur, then that's what you play to make money. If you play it as a humanitarian, you know, that's what you play to, to win your stuff for your community or the communities that you care about. Yeah. Um, I, I think people need to, I, I, I would wish for sometimes for people to dial down on the hate to step back and take a look of the bigger picture sure. and how things are not just affecting their own community but affecting everyone you know there's
0: uh, you know there's there, there's there was a massive change years ago where it, beca- it 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 went from you know we the people to we the republican we the democrat yeah You know, it's, I mean, no matter what happens on a Republican side, Democrats are going to fight that world and we have to get back to the common idea of what it is that the United States is. Look, we should, I'm not saying that we need to let every single person in. There needs to be a process and there needs to be a check and balance on that. We can't just open everything up and say, okay, everybody come on in and we'll figure it out later. You know, your family came over here as immigrants and as refugees and your family came over here through through a process, mm-hmm. you know, you didn't just come rolling in the front door and go, "Okay, here I am." Now, give me free shit. Mm-hmm. You guys came over, and and you had a plan of action, and your parents, you know, I mean, there was something to be said about that. Mm-hmm. But uh, I. I uh, the one thing that I love that I'm seeing right now, on on the level that I'm seeing, is, is it starting at the super low level, the people that are in the neighborhoods that are now becoming, you know, a spokesperson for the neighborhood, and then they're becoming a constituent for the neighborhood. They're becoming a congressperson for the neighborhood. Na- you know, they're becoming on a board for mm-hmm. the neighborhood, and they're starting to move up that ladder. And we're seeing a lot of people that are starting to run for public office that are regular people that are. They're tired of the shit. Mm -hmm. They're tired of the political shit. And I think it's awesome because Mm -hmm. I think we're seeing more women get in power. And I I think that we're starting to see more people who genuinely care about the people getting into power.
1: Mm -hmm. And I like that. And I love that, too, as well, too. It's like we need to start preaching to kids to become athletes. Yeah. Lawyers or uh, or, or doctors, actually, more lawyers, I think, is more ideal. Um, but I think we should be preaching to people to do things where they can be more impactful and involved in the communities, uh, like the legal space, like lawyers and congresswomen and congressmen and senators and mayors and all that stuff. I feel that uh, as of twenty, or uh, leading up to twenty nineteen, that place has been across the nation has been pretty, uh, filled with void. Um, and I'm glad that it's somewhat turning around 2019, but if we continue to turn it around, I feel like the checks and balances will kind of equalize out. Um, I have faith in the system that, you know, things will turn around, um, not turn around, but, uh, go for the better. Um, As it should be. But if you if we don't pay attention and we don't get involved and we don't do work that leads our society and our nation to a greater place, then we're all fucked. (laughs) You know, that's how we get. That's how we get lobbyists. You know, that's how we get people who who pay for laws to get passed that that benefit them and not everyone else. So,
0: yeah. Yep. Nope. I agree, man. Yeah, I think we need to. Well, let's let's uh, we need to get back into talking about some fucking food, dude. That was like (laughs) that was like all heavy and shit. (laughs) <laughs> um, so what are you doing now? Where, where's your, I
1: mean, wh- what's your focus on? Where are you? Dude, like, um, yeah, I've been kind of under the radar for a little bit. I've, I've only been doing events and pop-ups here and there for the like past two years. But in this past two years, I've been um, working on... A partnership with a management group to uh, do some things in the uh, grocery sector and the fast food sector. Nice. Um, I'm, I'm kind of a fine dining is amazing. There's a lot of great fine dining restaurants out there. But just coming from the neighborhood that I came from, I wanted to do food that was inclusive of everyone. Okay. And I think. Um, for me to develop products that is accessible or things that you can find in the grocery aisle or things that you can buy for under 10 bucks. And I think that means the world to me. And I feel that, um, we've been blessed to be innovative in making delicious food. Um, and in turn, I want to share that with the mass, not just a few.
0: Well, I think we're, we're in such a cool space, Mm -hmm where we are right now because to get a great meal isn't about going out and and dropping three, four, five hundred dollars anymore. It's not even about going out and dropping fifty.
1: Yeah, fuck that shit. You can
0: you can still go out. I mean, you know, I went out the other night and I had a bowl of pho that was fucking nine dollars.
1: Yeah. Fuck it. The
0: broth was just Mm -hmm. fucking off the hook. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, and it was what I was looking for Mm -hmm. and it was so simple and so simplistic and, and so raw. And that was a great meal to me. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm the guy who goes out. I rarely get entrees when I go out. I'm the appetizer guy because I want to get a multitude of flavors. I want to try everything I can. And, and, and I might walk away with doing that and getting $50 in
1: on a bill absolutely man and i want to and i want to go to those same places man where it's loud and people and you're shouting and hollering with your your family members and you're you're sitting at a big table and you're shooting the shit see those those are for me where memories you know and, and memories of love and and community stem from you know like and for me just personally like I'm not that type of dude where I could you know I have to go to a place and have a blazer on and everybody's super quiet I'm afraid of being too loud like you know I like to eat with my hands I like to like get up and dance and like you know and like you know, uh, hug people while I'm eating, and like, you know, tell people to come over. And you see your friends come by, you tell them to join the table. Like, that's I feel like that's what food is about for me, man.
0: <coughs> I read, I was reading, I don't know, I, I went to a, a a fall place a couple of months ago, and I was reading a Yelp review on it, mm. and it was like the plate, the lights were too bright, the music was too loud, you know, the serve, you know, the the staff was sitting down in the corner eating. And the response from the owner was, please don't come back (laughs) because you know what, that's what it is. That is the experience. That's the, you know, that's the whole thing. It's not a server should be, you know, seen and not heard or whatever it is. I mean, it's, there's, you're missing the point of where you were, Mm -hmm. you know, you think about the culture and the experience of food and you think about the basics of a pho, of a ramen of you know any form of that street food or that simple comfort food that's out there it's all about community Mm -hmm. It's about being loud. It's about communicating and talking and trying. And, you know, when I go out with my buddies, you know, when I go out with my chef friends, it's all about the sharing of the meal. It's about the, what is that? Give me some of that. Give me a cut. Let me bite that. Try that. Give that to me. Why? I want some of that shit. You know, when you're Mm -hmm. sharing and you're eating in this community and you're talking and, and, and that's what I think that people are missing. There's this pretentious world of what food most people had, 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 Mm -hmm. of what food was and we've I think we're knocking that down so far Mm -hmm. that food is about the taste, the flavor, the experience and everybody that's around you it's not just about that ambiance and what's on the wall Mm -hmm. you know for me my place right now is all barbecue dude I love it. You're going to come in if I don't have it I'm sorry I'm out of it. I ran out of it. I cooked enough. I cooked what I had. I thought you were going to order that's all I have for the day. I got a neon light on my wall that says stay weird because I don't want (laughs) to do the normal shit I don't want it at all Mm, I, I want to do fun stuff. You don't like the rub? I'm sorry. That sucks for you.
1: you know? See, I, I feel like that's a that's a Western world first world problem where we, we kind of uh, over cater to consumers, you know. And I I blame oh, the yes. I blame the 70s and the 80s for that. Fuck you guys. <laughs> yeah, totally.
0: <laughs> what a woman who came in the other night. who said, "You know what? I think you know you have a barbecued salmon sandwich on. I think you need a salmon entree on your menu." And I said, "I don't." I don't need a salmon entree. Wait, I'm a what?
1: barbecue. Wait, sp- I sell three fucking that? orders of salmon no. a week. No. Could you repeat that? Could you say that again? Like I didn't catch that. What did you just say? About so I had a salmon? woman who
0: came into my barbecue spot last mm. week and I have a, I have a, I, I have a coho salmon that I do <laughs> yeah. that I'm not going to lie, dude. It's an off the hook, beautiful cut of salmon that yeah. I get in. It's a frozen salmon. I'm yeah. not bringing fresh salmon in the restaurant because I don't sell fresh salmon. Yeah. I might sell three orders of salmon a week. Yeah. I'll pull my, my my par for salmon on my station is yeah. two. Wow. Okay, it's two. I don't yeah. need seven or eight or 10 or 12 pulled out because mm-hmm. I'm not going to sell it. Mm-hmm. Now, last night I had 86 it because I had three and I only sold three. Mm-hmm. Somebody came in and they wanted a fourth one and I said, I'm sorry,
1: I don't have it. What do you why, mean you don't have it? Why sell the salmon in the first place? You know what I mean? You're a barbecue because... Star.
0: I do still... I mean, like, right now, I'm working on a vegan rib. Yeah, I'm working on a vegan rib. I'm not gonna lie. It's birch root. It's fucking jackfruit. I'm working on a vegan rib. It's something that I wanted to do. That's baller. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, why not? Like, let's have fun with it. I was out with a vegan chef, or a vegan, a couple weeks ago, and her and I are talking about it. And that's what chefs do, is we talk, we collaborate, we listen, we do all the shit that Vanilla Ice fucking told us to do. Stop (laughs) collaborating and listen. You know? Like, but, but... and and this woman was, she just, you need a salmon entree. And I said, well, one, I don't sell entrees. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I sell barbecue. And she said, well, you really need to put a salmon entree on. And I said, I understand what you're saying. I have a salmon sandwich. Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, but some of us don't like the bread and I'm allergic to gluten and I don't do this. I said, well, you're more than welcome to get the salmon on this, on the plate. Yeah, but what else are you going to give me with it? (laughs) I'm going to give you salmon on a plate. and it's not even on a plate it's on a piece of paper with my logo on it on a silver tray
1: see like i said like you know consumer power it's it's i think it's gone it's gone awry at as of 2019 man like you go to any other country you ask for any substitutes or you have allergies they will look at you and be like get the fuck out you know like and i'm not saying that People's allergies or food preferences aren't important, but I think people need to do a better job in understanding where they're eating at. You know, so, this is your kitchen at home with a private chef. Absolutely, you want that. You got to pay for it. Yeah. However, however, working for Daniel Balut not to call him out and put him in a bad light in any sense. I think in in any essence, this is praise. He always he taught me this. You never say no. If people want it, you give it to them, but you charge them up the ass. You know what I mean?
0: (laughs) I mean, if you're going to try to go, absolutely. And I have people that all the time, I mean, I had a woman who sent me an email the other day. Mm -hmm. Are your meats gluten-free? Are my meats gluten-free? What? And I replied back and said, no, I inject gluten into all of my meats. (laughs)
1: <laughs> On purpose,
0: <laughs> you know. And it's like, and she replied back, like, "You inject gluten and in- no, I don't inject gluten. It's meat. I'm mm-hmm. <clears throat> sorry, there is no gluten involved in my meat,
1: ma'am." I think that's the thing about the internet too, is that there's a lot of uh, false information, um, just being, you know, that people acquire and they try to create these narratives which aren't factual about food to apply it to themselves. And I I hate to say it it usually happens with people who are trying to take care of their family and they're desperate to make sure that their kids and their family are, are healthy. And this is both men and women. And oftentimes, I think their fear leads them to find things that they are afraid of and confirm those fears, so they can like create some sort of a diet agenda restriction for themselves. Right. You know? yeah. So if I said, you know, if I said that um, I am incredibly afraid of germs. You know, I'm sure if we pulled up on Google right now, I can find millions and millions of articles to uh, to uh, to uh, support my uh, prejudiced suspects of what dirty hands can do to me. You know, Um, and I think that's a reflection of that. I think uh, I I also additionally, I think it's our jobs to say no (laughs) when it gets when it gets obnoxious. Right. So. uh
0: Well I mean it's like the guy who came in and he said you know your 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 what was he your brisket is expensive. Well brother, I pay a lot of money for my fucking all natural brisket. And that shit cooks for 16 hours. Man, that's the and other I thing, lose man. 18
1: to 25% yield. That's the other thing, man. Cuz we're, we're poisoned by the McDonald's culture. You remember when McDonald's hamburgers were 39 cents? <laughs> like, I think when that
0: Absolutely.
1: happened Absolutely. Fuck it fucked up everybody. And
0: Instead of expecting the ten nuggets for a dollar ninety nine, we need to be questioning why ten nuggets are a dollar ninety
1: nine. <laughs> right? What the fuck is in this stuff? What oh, is two, it that we're eating? Oh, the two for a dollar taco at Jack in a Box that sure. isn't taco meat. <laughs> you know? Well, and you know what's
0: but you know what's funny is that it wasn't taco meat, but guess what the fuck everybody's eating right now? What's that? They're eating the impossible burger. That's They're eating Wheateks. They're and eating the, the product that we, that we belittled, berated, that we ripped Taco Bell apart. That's now, right. Now, granted, they should have fucking told you that that product was in there. Yep. But now we're glorifying it. Now, oh, <laughs> and they're six dollars
1: a fucking that's pound. Right. For that. exactly. That's right. That's right. To the for a wheat product. Yeah, it's bad. It's insane. It is. Uh, yeah. How long were you with uh, Danielle? Um, I was there 2010 to 2011 ish, something like that. A little bit over a year. Um, spent my yeah, time in good New York.
0: friend of mine is down there now. Very cool.
1: I was and there. She loves it. Yeah, it's an amazing. He's he is his whole company and his team. They're they are dude. They they're amazing. I, I learned a lot from them. A lot of discipline. Um, the chef that I worked for, uh, Laurent Calcatore, was uh, a chef for Elaine Ducasse. And for those who don't know, Alain Ducasse has most the most Michelin stars in the world. Is that right? Yeah. And I think he has a restaurant in the, in the Eiffel Tower as well. So, like, very straight edge, very military, like you said, um, great discipline, you know, French Brigade, all that stuff. So it was fun working. Got my ass kicked. Got my ass handed to me, I'll tell you that.
0: <laughs> Dude, I'll never forget being at the Four Seasons. Yeah. French chef, you know, best restaurant, one of the best restaurants in Philly. And, you know, a guy who really who 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 deserved your respect. I mean, that's what it was. And I remember being uh, I worked for free and I remember going in and saying, hey, I want to get paid. And they're like, no, you go to the restaurant school. You don't get paid. Mm. That's our deal with the restaurant school. Mm. And that was the answer. And then I said, "Okay, well, I think I'm ready for saute. And they're like, "Okay, cool. We're going to put you on saute tonight. Mm -hmm. Here's your training. You know, and I'm I'm getting a ten minute training because I was ballsy, because mm-hmm. so I went after what I want. I got my fucking ass handed to me. <laughs> handed to, me. Mm-hmm. and the chef came over and you know Tony Clark throwing shallots at the back of my fucking head. Mm-hmm. That's not how you do that. That's not what I taught you. Where the fuck did you learn? Like those days are long gone. Mm-hmm. There's something to be said about that brigade and following the hierarchy of a kitchen and the the the. Uh, what word am I, am I looking for here? But in reality, the, 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 tough, <laughs> the toughness of being in a kitchen, there's and, something and
1: that is there about that. I think I would compare it to the military. I think the, uh, sure. uh, those brigades run, like you, you said, know your job, Precision. You know your job. Um, however, I don't think it is conducive for every person. I don't think everyone is meant for the military. It's just the same thing that everyone's meant for the French Brigade. And I don't think that I don't think by saying that I'm suggesting that it's a that it doesn't work or it's not good in any sense. I just think I'm appreciative of 2019. There's more than one type of platform for people to cook to have them be included in this uh, food industry. So I'm very appreciative of how things are growing, specifically here in California. Um, You have pop-ups. You see a lot of chefs going into food, grocery sector and food retail. Um, Additional to the fine dining. uh, There's a lot of chefs doing fast casual. uh, And I think more than ever the scale, the, uh, complexity, the diversity of, 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 of how food can be made is stronger than ever in any decade, yeah. uh, that I can, uh, that I've known of. So that's, I think that's the, the genius part of it. Um, are there any drawbacks? Um, I don't think so, but you know, it's like I said, it's only 2019. <laughs> I, I still need to figure out what those drawbacks are. So
0: well, I mean, we're at a, such a great place in food now with the utilization of product, the respect, and the responsibility that I think that chefs are really starting to take within it. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of, I'm tired of fucking food service companies. Mm. I'm tired of food service companies that are saying, "Brian, I need you to come to a food show." And this happened to me a couple of years ago. I need you to come to a food show. I have the most amazing product that I want you to see. What is it? Trust me get down here, check it out. So what do I do? I go down, I check it out. And what is he showing me? Riced cauliflower. Why? <laughs> Riced cauliflower. And, yeah. and, and it was five bucks a pound, uh-huh. you know? And, and I looked at him and I was like, motherfucker, <laughs> like, we're taking, we're taking the knives out of our chef's hands and we're giving them box cutters. Yeah. You know, we're, we're losing the skill. One of my guys, why are, why don't we have julienne carrots? Oh, the mandolin broke. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, here's a fucking knife.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
0: Now I'm going to show you how it's done. You know, you don't get the tool until you learn how to do it the first way, the right way. Then you can be able to use the tool, you know?
1: So, you know what uh, I'm excited, you know what I'm, you know what I'm excited about with the potential to go back to like our childhood favorite nostalgic American food items and revisiting how it's done. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, Like for example, like just taking, for me, just taking the corn syrup and a modified starches out of hoisin um, you know, hoisting that sauce that you eat with pho, like just redoing that and just like making sure the ingredients are clean and are, things that you wouldn't rush yeah, and that, yeah, and that question, and you know. How you feel, or what it tastes like, or what you're putting into your body when you eat it—it's stuff like that that I, I think I find a lot of joy in. Um, you know, everything from like sodas to like potato chips and all those things—we're just revisiting those things and trying to find cool new ways to put it back together. Um, and I have no interest in bastardizing. Uh, culturally nostalgic recipes or items like you won't see me doing right. <laughs> cauliflower rice by any means. Or oh, right. uh, I did a project. Well, what's that? You are saying? Mm-hmm. No, no, go. Um, I did a, I did a project with a, a burger robotics company called Creator, and yeah, I, that was like my first real opportunity to like mess around with sauces and stuff and make sauces that um, I've probably done in restaurants but didn't see on a retail shelf. But um, I developed a sauce that was a mushroom sauce, and all, uh, essentially all it is is just shiitakes, and you puree it up, and you make it into a sauce, and it's just fucking delicious, and it's great with burgers. Um, mushrooms are fucking awesome. Yeah, same thing with seaweed. The I made complexity – Yeah.
0: Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean the complexity of mushrooms alone – uh, it is underutilized because most people's. I don't like mushrooms. I don't like mushrooms. I don't like mushrooms mm-hmm. because most people don't cook a mushroom the proper way. They're not cooking right. it. They're not doing it. You know, you're not utilizing it in the way that it's meant to be. For and sure. whoever came up with a canned fucking mushroom needs to be punched in the dick because that <laughs> is just a world that, that I can't believe that we live in. That you're ordering a pizza with mushrooms on it. It's a can. And I ask, is it a fresh mushroom or not? No, it's not. You know, like there's where did we get where how did we get that far away? From the basics
1: that we're, during, we're serving a canned mushroom. You know what At point fucking, did it come down to that? You know what I fucking hate? I fucking hate truffle oil. I hate people. Who oh, my God. It. Like it's so fucking people disgusting. Co- Seriously. Mm-hmm.
0: It's not like and tr- now we've got truffle fries on every fucking menu. Look, I love a truffle. I, and people say to me all the time, well, you don't like truffles. No, it's not that I don't like truffles. It's that I don't like truffle oil. I don't want truffle oil on something. It's not, it's just not a world that I live in. You know what else I'm fucking tired of? Balsamic vinegar. You put balsamic (laughs) vinegar on one more fucking thing. Again, I'm going to go right back to punching you in the dick. I had a dish the other night that they had a balsamic reduction from 1987, put on the plate and there was no rhyme or reason because it was a color. Jesus fuck! There was no rhyme or reason. It didn't match the dish. It yeah. wasn't a something that should have been there. And yeah. I'm tired of it. And what did we do? We took the idea. Balsamic reductions when they first came out were an awesome thing. For sure. When it was done properly, it was a slow reduction of a sauce, reducing it by half, allowing the natural sugar to kind of come to the point where it needed to be. And That's then cool. what do we do? Now we got guys. We got guys bringing fucking balsamic to a boil and adding a slurry into it. Now this we got is- rolled. Who's making balsamic reductions that they're putting out? You know, like come on, guys, it's time to move forward, yeah, move just, forward from.
1: And you know what else I hate too? Since we're on this topic, I fucking hate microgreens, man. I fucking hate oh, it. Like they God. don't do fucking shit not for anything, you know.
0: And they're thirty six dollars a fucking pound.
1: Yeah. Why are we I'm- doing? I mean, you know, when
0: we were at crave, I mean, it was the big thing. Everybody's like, I got microgreens. I got this. I got micro this. Yeah, I mean, I put it on as garnish because we had so much of it because they just kept coming to deliver it. Yeah, it's you know, I mean, they kept dropping it off.
1: With the with the exception with like bean sprouts and like alfalfa sprouts and stuff, I still like that shit in my sandwich. You know, I think that's like I I like some alfalfa in there. I like some bean sprouts; they're fun. Yeah, fuck yeah, man.
0: I'm. You know what I'm tired of? Here we go. Since we're on it, fucking tomatoes in December. Why are, and I have people that get angry with me because if it's not a summer month, if it's not a, because I mean, I live in Philly and tomatoes are abundant. You know, I mean, I've got, like I said, 14, 15 foot tomato plants in my backyard right now. Yep, yep, yep. But, but why are you, you know, why are we just putting a slice of tomato on something that the tomatoes, <laughs> And gassed. It's, it's mealy. It's kind of granular. It's not a good tomato. All my tomatoes during winter months are Romas that I quarter salt crust and herb. And that's what goes on my burgers. That's what goes on my sandwiches mm-hmm. because you're still getting that flavor of that tomato, but I'm not doing the tomato an injustice mm-hmm. by serving. it. It's just not fucking ready. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Start questioning this stuff when it comes in
1: absolutely man i think people just need to start i, I think that happened because i think uh, food concepts became franchises and they created a formula to keep it easy uh, but i think that's changing though i feel like concepts like chipotle and um what is it greens where they feature like seasonal and organic stuff wherever they can specifically greens i think that recipe's changing man where you could go to our franchise our fast food place where the menu that they have in December won't be the same one in March. It takes a little bit more work, but I, I hope that consumers will start demanding that. You know, and if consumers start demanding that, it would kind of change the whole industry. I, I, I absolutely. feel absolutely, yeah, man. Um, it's they the all same have thing. voice, and they're so
0: educated. Our our guests are more educated now than they ever have been in their lives because of the internet, because of Food Network, because of because of all of the opportunity, all the information that's out there and available. It's fully out there, you know, I mean, they have to be truthful in their, in their ingredient statements. They've got to be, we need to start questioning that stuff. You look at an ingredient statement here compared to something in Europe or something to that effect. And it's a completely different product and it's Coca-Cola and it's a Hershey bar. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. It's a completely different product that's happening here. That's what's happening over there. And that's because we've allowed it because we have the business of farming. We have the business of these companies that are coming in that are building this product up and they have to have they need a better yield on it. It's the same thing that's going to happen with weed in the next couple of years. Corporations are buying into weed companies. They're buying into weed farms. What do you mean? It didn't rain for 10 fucking days. Where's my yield?
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely, and they're going to continue. So they're going to process it like a cash crop. That's right, man. Like, you
0: know, nobody's ever died from weed. That old adage, that old statement, is going to change in the next couple of years because somebody's going to die from fucking smoking weed because of the chemicals that are now being added into stuff.
1: That's right. There's something I heard, fucking wrong. with That I was we'll fuck it up somehow. I was reading an article on NPR and they're, they're already stating that um the chemical extraction where they use to um, make CBD oils. There's other additives oh. in there that are really harmful for your lungs. You know, yeah. and I man, just just be hippie about everything. Stop buying things that are processed and just smoke. By the it. flowers. <laughs> smoke it a, like a real uh, dude. Get yourself a fucking joint. Right? Roll a fucking joint, man. That's the best way to do it. So <laughs> get a pre-roll. Fuck it. When did you buy a pre-roll? I don't need oil. Yeah. You know, I don't,
0: I don't, that's not a world that I live in. I don't get involved in any of the, 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 the oils or anything like that. I like a little flower. I'm a happy guy with it. You know, I don't abuse it. I don't take advantage of it. I'm not smoking when I wake up in the morning. You know, for me, most of the time it's an end of day thing. You know, I've worked my ass off and that's a reward for me is that opportunity to just relax my brain, relax my body. At that point, I'm 48 fucking years old, dude. My Mm -hmm. body fucking hurts. (laughs) You know, absolutely. Fucking hurts. So, you know, I just don't I don't want to see us get to a point that we're fucking up something that has so much potential, not only on a medicinal, on a mental, on a physical level. That now has an excess of funds. You know, you look at Washington State and the excess of funds that are happening in these areas because of the fact that marijuana has been, been you know, recreational and legalized. But we still need to have a government um, oversight into this to make sure that we're keeping it the way that it should be kept. We don't need to start fucking this stuff up. It's just not. It's going to become a problem. Yeah, it is. I don't know. All right, Dave. We've talked for an hour and 45 minutes, dude.
1: Holy and fuck. I, yes, <laughs>
0: Holy I know. I'm so far from done. I think we're going to need episode two of you and me because I enjoy talking to you, dude. Really
1: Absolutely, do. man. I, you know, just whenever you're in the Bay Area, please reach out to me, man. I would love to hang out with you and show you around in places that you haven't been yet, assuming that you haven't Definitely. been to these places. Yeah. But you know, we need to up. rock together. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. I'd love it, dude. I'd love it. <laughs> Um, all right, brother, do me a favor. Why don't you tell us who you are real quick again and tell us how we can get in contact with you and follow you and do all that good stuff so you can share your good
1: word. Absolutely. My name is Tu David Fu. I'm from Oakland, California, first generation Vietnamese-American. I was on Top Chef Season 15. Um, you can find me here in Oakland, California. And if you want to find out more about what I'm doing, if I'm coming to your town, uh, please see me and find me on Instagram at Chef Two David Fu. Uh, same thing for IG, same thing for Facebook. And then my website is ww.cheft2.com. There we go.
0: All right, brother. Thanks so much for your time and hanging out with us. And, uh, we'll be in contact, man. I know this isn't over. All right.
1: Absolutely, man. God bless you and your family. And I hope to see you soon, my brother. Thanks brother. Take care of yourself. You too. Bye.
0: Bye. I mean, boys and girls, it doesn't get more real than that. That's talk. That's the show. That's what we do. You know, we just – we go with the flow. Uh, You know, I've I've had – I've been doing this show. We're on 106 episodes, 108 episodes, and, you know, there was a period of time there where I was going out and I was like, I want to have – uh, fucking, you know, I want to have Robert Irvine on the show, you know, which I did. I wanted to have Robert Irvine on the show. I was really looking forward to having Robert Irvine on the show. And one of the things that happened with, with some of these bigger guys, you know, some of these these na- chefs with big names and, and 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 A, B list celebrities is they wanted questions. They wanted to know what I was going to talk about. They wanted to know what my agenda was for the show. And And as I say to everybody, there's three questions that I'm going to ask you. And that is You know, one, who are you? Two, what do you do? And three, how can we get in contact with you? That's what it is. This show flows through conversation. This show flows through um, interest and interaction. To me, it's not about how big of a name you are. It's not how many followers you have. It's about the interest level that I have with you, and the interest level that I think that you guys are going to have with the guests that we have on. Um, today was a prime example of that. You know, David was uh, you know was was somebody that I met and I and I've I've been interested in in a while for a while because of you know what he does, and it was peaked even more when I started to learn a lot more about the charity work that he puts into what he does and the spiritual side and the real side of what he does. So to me, that was a great interview and it's not even really an interview. It's a guest. It's a a conversation between two people. I just try to move the conversation along a little bit with stuff that I want to know. You know, I want to know where he came from and what he did and what it was like and what his mother did and what his father did, because that leads you to get a better understanding of who that individual is. And to me, That's a great fucking show, and the one that we just did right now was a great fucking show, and I don't even know what to follow that up with, but I will tell you this. We're done for the day. Don't hang up just yet. Don't turn me off just yet because I got to thank Jerry and Jason down there at RadioInfluence.com. Boys, girls, you got a podcast. That's what you're going to do. You're going to go. You're going to talk to these guys because they can help you out, all right? Maggie Gagliardi does every single bit of our uh, graphic design to get everything ready for the show um, with her caricatures and her illustrations. Follow her on Instagram at MagsArt on Instagram. Michelle. Techno Solution website. She's the girl. You have a restaurant. You need a cool menu design. You go and you talk to her. It's that simple. Tell her I sent you. I'm not even going to go any further with it. At T-E-C-H-K-N-O-W solutions.com Boys and girls, that's all I have to say today. Today was a prime example of two people talking, enjoying each other's company, not debating anything. We were just having a good conversation. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did because you know what? Now you guys have the opportunity to go out and just be fucking nice to somebody. Have a good day didn't get duffified enough follow chef brian duffy on facebook and on twitter at chef b-r-i-d-u-f-f look for the blue verified check mark to get exclusive content and to see what's coming up on next week's show this has been duffified live with chef brian duffy on radio influence